You're listening to a Hindustan Times podcast brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Hi, so today we have with us Shudeep Sen whose book Converse Contemporary English Poetry by Indians the paperback edition is uh, due soon right we I already have this big huge book in my hand but the paperback is about to be uh, in the market so hi shudeep hi great to see you again after a long long time yes so shudeep you know let's start with talking about um, this book and you know the um, I mean, in your introduction kind of lays it all out, like how you chose the poets in it, and you know what went into it, the thought process behind it. But for the for the listeners, do you want to like start with that? Yeah, sure. So this, you know, I would edited as you know so many anthologies in the past that I had promised to myself that I will never do one more. You know, <laughs> it's these labor of love don't produce too much love back. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's 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 so it's a personal uh, quest, really, at one level. Partly because you know you want to uh, showcase uh, Indian poetry that has been written in English now for over hundred years, um, and there's so much good work that's there. But uh, but in an aggregated uh, fashion, curated professionally and in a, with a critical mind, not too many books are around. You know where you can see it all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was uh, partly also prompted by the fact that last year was. Uh, 75 years of Indian independence. So a British publisher approached me and uh, and uh, they said that, you know, let's do an anthology of this kind, which is like a world anthology. It's, it, it, it really also has a lot of lot of poetry by Indian diasporic poets. Yes. Now, I mean, the first response was, oh, my God, not another one. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, my heart sort of is so pro-India, so pro-young people, so pro-bright writers that I said, listen, you know, okay, maybe the last time. Um, so as we were putting the book together, over 15,000 pages of submissions came in. Okay. It was it was um, uh, <laughs> very very difficult. So um, yeah, so because there's a lot of clerical work involved, you know, when you're getting submissions in, you have to put it in order and all that, and then of course the reading of it all. So and also I wanted to read the poems uh, without knowing who I'm reading. This is how I've done okay. done all my apologies, you know, because okay. I don't want to bring in any bias. I'm interested only in the text. I'm not interested in the name or the biography or their achievement. The poem needs to walk on the page as I see it when I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. Of course, having said that, there are poets whose work I know who I also invited because they really ought to be in the book. These are senior poets, you know, who many of them who don't even use computers. I mean, for instance, yeah. Jayantama, the case in point, who opens the book. Um, I mean, people like Adil and all, you know, you, you out of uh, courtesy and grace, you write to them or call them saying, I'm putting it together, would love to have some work. So those were people I actually reached out to. Other than that, there were open calls on various uh, forum, you know, online and in academic journals. It was widely, you know, so there, it was a very fair way of, you know, getting things in. Hmm. Time I got the sort of first um, uh, first flush uh, of texts. It was just an unmanageable amount of poetry, and then one had to decide how 
one had to decide on the parameters as to how one gets a book that is not unwieldy. Even as you see it in the printed form, it's massive. It's massive. Yeah, I do massive. Know, yeah. It's a door stopper. And this is yes. a one seventh one reduction or one tenth reduction of what I actually had with me. My so God. one of the first, yeah, yeah. So one of the first things I thought of doing was cut it down to people who are living poets, people who are alive. Hmm. So there's, you know, because you have to have certain yardsticks. Otherwise, you know, people will say, why this and why not this person? Hmm. And you want to make sure that it's watertight when it comes to that. Hmm. So I said, okay, living poets, which of course, and the oldest living poet at the time was John Mahapatra. Yeah. Who sadly passed away since then, you know. Hmm. Uh, um, uh, which meant leaving out many, many uh, fine uh, poets such as, um, you know, Arun Kolatkar and um, Aga Shahid Ali and Dilip yeah. So many of them. But also, you know, I didn't feel terribly bad about them because they're incredibly well published and widely anthologized. So adding uh, something that is al already not there. Yeah. So, um, so that was one thing. Mm. The other was to bring it up to date, to really current day, 2022, mm. when the book was done. Mm. Pull it really to the current state, and and also have poems that are unpublished. So you know, people who are buying the book can look at it fresh, fresh, yeah. and you know, mm. that they haven't read. Unless, of course, again, certain exceptions were made because sometimes a poem is published in a very obscure journal that only has a limited re readership. I didn't mind having the poem in there. So you have to ma make for these human allowances. Can't be mm. completely watertight. Mm. So um, that's how the, that that was the parameter of how the book was uh, put together. So it was uh, reverse chronological order from the senior to the youngest mm. uh, that are rigorous, that are imaginative, that are urgent, um, that are well-crafted. I'm always very keen on poetry that is slightly written. And uh, mm. so those were the basic parameters. And it was really uh, published to celebrate 75 years of Indian independence. Mm. And since then, quite a few of the poets have passed on, right? I mean, uh, Jayanto Mahapatra, then uh, I think Salim Piradina, then lot of, uh, quite a few of the senior poets have moved on, right? They so, moved on and just before that also, uh, we had a flush Eve of deaths. Yeah. Eve Patel recently, um, yeah. before that it was, of course, uh, uh, Chitre and Ramanujan yes. and uh, Vijay Nambisan and all, a lot of people kind of, you know, passed on. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, since this book, I mean, the ones who made it to the book, and even within the last year, there's been... You know, quite a few who uh, uh, who died. So, so yes, I mean, so for instance, Give Patel, Salim Piradina, and uh, Jant Mahapatra, three cases in point. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. You know, for the paperback edition, I didn't want to, you know, change yeah. that because you know, the book was done with a particular vision. It's just a, so, um, yeah, the first, um, the hardback did extremely well. It sold out within a month or so. Um, and good thing is, of course, this is uh, distributed by Penguin Random House India. So, you know, it's distributed by them in 17 countries, including India, South, mm -hmm. South and Southeast Asia. And mm -hmm. England and, and America has a diff different distribution. So it did reach a lot of people. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's satisfying and pleasing. And, and when you're at our age, you know, criticism, which is uh, baseless, it doesn't make, you know, I don't even care two hoots about it, you know, why someone there and not there. I just said, read the book. 
anybody who's worthy of uh, being there should is there the rest don't matter so you got a lot of criticism like that <laughs> no not anymore not anymore i mean you no, know when it first it, came out did it like i'm i'm sure uh, it did no, there no, are some no, names you know there are some names who are not there yeah, yeah. but they are, but they are people who didn't send their work in or they didn't have oh. new poems you know? oh. so i made that in my introduction i didn't leave yes. people out because you know for sake of personal uh, you know i didn't i just i've never done that anyway you know you see all my anthologies i don't do anthologies in that way i mean when i doing an indian poetry anthology it's for india it's for the people of india it's for people of the world i'm not saying a mother teresa or anything but really you know <laughs> it's not about me it's not about me at all the book is a strong book because of other people's poetry in it mm-hmm. it's got nothing to do with me i'm just the curator and the editor and hopefully an honest one mm-hmm. so that's, that's the whole thing you know which which is difficult because like as a bystander of the indian english scene i mean you know i, I mean I, I, the the feeling i get that especially poetry you know the scene is like small but it's really intense and everybody is looking at everybody else the other practitioners and they are bitching about each other and their friends as well some of them and their camps and you know it's kind of like really political so and, and it's a bit scary to watch even so when you're in the thick of it it must be even more uh, painful so you want to talk about that. and then to be sitting and uh, do editing an anthology is like an act of bravery really so <laughs> a fair anthology because you can bung in you know people do that also bung in each and all the names and you know untalented people as well but if you're going yes. to be of the of the record we spoke about various books uh, <laughs> unworthy unworthy things <laughs> yeah so <laughs> to do that it is, it you know, so you want to talk about that the difficulty of that and the you know maybe because, the... because yeah because of dan anthology in the past i've been through these uh, rigmaroles so you know i'm at a point in my life where i don't want to use the word i don't care i care deeply but i don't let all these ancillary stupid gossipy things affect me anymore so i have a very clear vision when i'm doing a book and you know i stand by every poet every line in the book there will be other people who will say these people should be in the book well they can make another anthology nobody is stopping them everyone is free to do you know and if they they actually make an anthology they'll realize it's a lot of hard work first of all if thousands of hours of reading then figuring it out so it's not an easy job so i'm happy for other people to bring out anthologies uh, because it's only good for the the climate of indian poetry and um, so if someone has uh, issues and problems i'm i can have a conversation with them and say you know i'll be very interested in seeing a book by you um and uh, let's see what you have in mind rather than just a you know off the cuff uh, remark about the book you know which doesn't make any sense you know any comment that you make any comment one makes should be backed up textually by the matter in the book by the contents of the book and those criticism i take seriously i mean you know there are people who would tell me you know this book also before it gets into the print i have shared this manuscript with people who are intelligent diligent honest and they've given me their feedback and i've taken those on board as well that which is you know finally uh, a book like this there are a, there's an editorial staff Yeah, invisible editorial staff with the publishers who also go through it and fact check and do all sorts of things. So it's gone through many hands. Also, many of these poets who are in there are also 
poets who are seriously writing and they have a good publication track record. You know, yeah. they have been through many editors themselves. When, yeah. especially when it comes to publishing poetry in good magazines and journals, so those poems have been tested out. Yeah. Of course, the younger poets who are, who are not that well experienced, you take a chance. You know, and you, that's how you do it. People, when I was young, my senior poets took a chance with me when they put me in their anthologies, hoping that. You know, if someone has the potential, why not give them a chance? And and their and their bios and date of births are clearly there. So if someone is in their twenties, we know it's a poet who's just starting out and has potential. If the poet the, that poet down the road is not worthy enough, then he or she will not be in you know in other serious anthologies down the road. So that's how the process works anyway. Mm. But it is very exciting for me to find new voices though. Because uh, the the completely new generation writes very differently. Their yes, their process are very different. Uh, politically, they're very different too. Um, I'm not saying one is better than the other. Uh, the just the the just the approaches are very very different because of the kind of social and political circumstances they grow up in and live in and are surrounded by. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to like elaborate on that? Because you know there are so many generations of poets in this book, you know, and um, like when you when you started out in the eighties, like you know, it's um, it's a, it was a very different world than what the youngest poets in this book, <laughs> you know, experience, right? So, you, let's talk about that, you know, and how as an anthologist you uh, you you've dealt with that. See, when when I started off, there were many many historical watermark situation uh, moments in the history of Indian poetry in English in India, mm-hmm. and those watermarks have to do with uh, publishing opportunities, and many of them are accidental. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, poetry in general is very difficult to get published by a mainstream publisher. We all know that uh, a lot of poetry flourishes because of small presses. Problem with small presses, of course, they also die out very quickly. But that's the pattern all over the world. Uh, India, yes. much so because there is no funding for poetry. Uh, there is no funding for fiction either. But it's just that fiction, according to publishers, sell more. I suppose that's that's why they can support it more than poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not as though poetry doesn't sell. It's a complete myth. You know, good poets sell a lot of books. Mm. Um, I mean, when I remove myself as an editor and I'm just a poet, then how am I surviving? It's through a combination of selling the books and doing other activities that surround poetry, be it workshops, teaching this, that and the other. And there is a clientele and a a fairly healthy clientele. It will never be a best selling. The numbers and the metrics are not the same, which is why in publishing, for instance, uh, um, uh, when a, a poetry book hits thousand copies for sales it's pegged at 10,000 copies for a book of fiction that's how it's pegged which is why the unit cost of a slimmer poetry book is higher than a novel because the print runs are smaller so there's a whole logic behind the whole thing Um, um, so what they call curving the graph you know if the highest person in the class gets 55 or 65 then often in the American system or now in the Indian system they'll pull up the 65 to 95 and everything gets pulled up because you have to compete with the 
surroundings that are using that kind of metrics so so for instance it was so hard when i was in college if you got a first division in english you must be cats whiskers you know they were like <laughs> hardly one or two first divers and yeah. what was first division 60% yes yes now nobody gets less than 98% <laughs> <laughs> so you know the whole yardstick for measurement is very different i mean you know a high sec- a second division you're a very very good student yeah. and and you're a genius if you get a first division so things have changed i mean the, also then the world was slower which in some ways is more uh, more attuned to poetry you would send a poem out at the post it will take yeah. a long time to get there and the editors yeah. read it and then they reply back in the post that would take a long time there's a so the gestation period was longer the reading period was longer you actually spent more time with every letter every phrase every word so you know it was much more mature by the time it actually got published yeah. whereas now it's the click of a button you write something tonight press the enter button and it's up online also the the environment was very different uh, i talk about this in the introduction the whole idea of the guru shishya parampara the mentorship yeah i grew up with the benefit of that many senior poets who are now some many of them are no more sadly mm-hmm. have been instrumental in terms of you know just encouraging me and supporting me uh, and uh, that's something that's that's almost gone um i still continue so, doing it which is why i do anthologies still because you know i i feel excited about good indian writing by younger people because they also make me grow as a person i learn a lot from their writing when they're good good writers you know they are also pushing boundaries in a different way and looking looking at things in a different way which i may or may not do so that mentorship passing down the baton is very very important but that's in, uh, increasingly hardly hardly there you know that's kind of to do with the way society is running right now it's not in a poetry world is not very dissimilar to the rest of the societal space everyone is ambitious to the point of uh, banality <laughs> uh, everybody wants to be famous yesterday not tomorrow mm. or not in the near future or let's say let everybody wants to be famous yesterday before if someone even ha- if if someone even had that kind of aspiration it would be long time into into the future it's okay to have ambition there's no problem that drives you mm. but uh, poetry is not in nescafe instant coffee which is why that is undrinkable mm. what is slow brewed coffee or a tea ceremony it's everything slow which mm. means you can appreciate the nuances of the sounds the cadence of the language the content of the poem even now when i read a poem i have to read it at least 5 to 6 times before i can even get 20% of the poem it has to stay with you it has to live with you that's why i carry poetry books around with me when when i'm traveling any you know books reading it's usually poetry books when i'm traveling with novels are easy you read it and it just goes to your shelf mm. and if it's not good it gets given away um, yeah. i never throw any poetry book out for instance even if it's not too good there will be a time in my life that i have to give away the substandard books of course because of that <laughs> space but that's a practical mm. uh, so things have changed people had time in a different kind of way uh, mm. now everything is rush 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 and the technology aids that you can actually have a digitally printed beautifully produced book uh, you can do pretty much 99% of the work at home the mm. only thing the poem that book will lack is proper scrutiny and good editorial input because that's what takes time Hmm. so there's so 
books out there, you say it's intense. The intensity is to do with the overproduction of uh, of uh, printed matter. Mm-hmm. And by printed, I mean printed online as well, which is another problematic area. Though I know it's a democratic space. It's a great space. We, we use online platforms all the time. We are doing... Right now, our conversation is digital and it'll be out digitally and we know the benefits of that. But I'm not talking about that so much as to, you know, one has to be very, very careful about protecting yourself and sacred spaces. And poetry requires that sacred space. That's the beauty of poetry. That's why I'm I'm attracted to it. Because the centers and the soul of a poem is a very quiet space. It may talk about a lot of agitated things that are happening, a lot of turmoil, political, personal. But, you know, by the time it's written out on the page and sent out and another person receives it, it's received in a quiet way mm. through reading, yes. through pauses, through reflection. Mm. And that is why things have changed because, you know, people just don't have the time. So many, many younger poets would approach me, I know for, for sure, because... Uh, it's very seasonal. I can see it. It's, there's a pattern to it, uh, especially if the poet is mediocre and below, that they'll befriend you, they'll be very pally and chatty. And then if you're not really helping them out in the way they want, then they'll sort of drift away, which is fine, you know, <laughs> you know, because you can't be writing a blurb for a book which is just not quite there. Or if that, that person has doesn't have the patience. Mm-hmm. Often you'll get a manuscript, you know, in the mail saying, so I've got this book. It's going to be published in four days' time. Can you write an introduction? Are Yeah, that's the extreme case. Or blurb. You know, I, I need to sort of sit with the book, figure out your poems, understand it before I can even, you know, put a paragraph together. But also, you know, a lot of people are writing blurbs in a very kind of ungainly manner because that puts their <laughs> name on the back of other people's book and it's a racket you know at also see the worst of it is a racket the best of it isn't the best of it is what is what is the best of it it's the endorsement a good serious person endorses a good serious book which is how the whole blurbing thing started mm-hmm. okay, if it's misused then it's problematic and you can see you know when you read certain blurbs it they're talking about it in such a flowery way, but they're not talking about the book or the writer at all. You know? yeah. and, and, and if you read these funny articles um, on reviewing and editing, there are these lists of words which you should never use because they're vacant words. Nice. Yes. Intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's intriguing? So, you know, the three lines is not very difficult to rattle off, you know, for a yeah. half intelligent. Person. So you just have to see the weight of what they're saying too. It's not just pretty words on a pretty cover. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I often wonder. I mean, you're out there on social media, and you know, you're very you put up posts very regularly, and you know, uh, you push work and yours and other people's, and it's it takes a lot of energy to do that, you know. And yeah. also because social media is the sort of space that's it's like I mean, it's like. Um, it's like the Colosseum in Rome, you know. <laughs> in, in, no, 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 no. It's 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 five thousand Colosseums <laughs> yeah. put together. Even that is not enough. Yeah. yeah. So you could yeah. you could be ripped apart. You know. I mean, it's like the common ground where you can be you know, pulled apart limb for limb. So you know, how do you deal with that? Because that's very different from what I mean. A poet 
you know, poetry and it, it requires reflection and, you know, as, like you said, a, a safe space and spaces are increasingly unsafe, you know, because this is in yeah. your head as well. It's social media is also playing out in your brain, right? So what, I mean, how does a poet uh, uh, contend with that and still continue to it's work? It's very simple. It's very simple for me. You know, I, of course, you know, it's, it's a professional space for me. So I use it professionally. You'll see in, on my timeline and all the posts, there are only two, only two times in the year I put out something personal. One is yeah. my, when my mother's birthday and my mother's death anniversary. That's so my mom's picture will be out there. And my yeah. son. Do yeah. not talk about my personal life or other people's personal lives at all. That's out. Because that's not meant for public. It's a public space. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's work, whether it's poetry, literature, discussion on politics or photography and the allied arts, dance. So it's a very rich space. So I actually quite engage with social media in a kind of a, um, I would say, diligent way. I mean, it's, it's so much part of our fabric that you can't escape it. So again, you have to use it in a way that it doesn't take take over your life. So also, there's been a learning experience I've toned down in terms of putting the sorts of things I put out because people do get on the bandwagon and start lynching you. But, you know, uh, that's because if you put out something that has not been thought through, I've realized, you know, say, say 15 years ago, I would just react to something from my heart without really processing it. Of course, you'll get a feedback accordingly. But if I put down something that is thought through, and even if people disagree with me, I have good reason to counter it uh, intelligently. So, um, so one has also learned through the through time how to use these technologies. And I'm of a firm believer that one needs to adapt to technology, technological, uh, um, uh, the technological climate that sort of is around you, because otherwise you'll be a dinosaur. Yes. Do we really? to be dinosauric i mean we can say oh god you know our children use the computer so well of course they do better <laughs> uh, so one just learns from that you know as much as one one wants to their handwriting is bad because they've never handwritten things yes <laughs> so, do we do we so if parents start scolding a, a children who's not really done writing and they want beautifully calligraphed so you know when you when you look at the poetry of very young people to so what what emerges from that for you? You know, the good ones. I mean, I've seen crap ones and I've seen good ones as well. So, you know, young people writing people in their 20s, you know, what is the sort of um, poetry that's emerging from what you've seen? Right now? Yeah. Right now? Right now. You know, it's not very different from how it used to be even in the olden times. The good poets are very similar to the good poets of the past. Mm. And I'll explain why. Because the focus of those poets are actually grounded on the same things or are measured within the same framework. Hmm. Originality of thought, the width of creativity, good grammar, and cogent argument. Hmm. Hmm. These are some of the elements that make good writing. So if a young person is um, values these things, it'll be very similar, but the young person is writing about their milieu, which is very different yes. automatically from what was in the past. Yes. Also, there's other technological innovations that have happened, so those get in, you know. Mm. Uh, that's how the language changes in any case, you know. Yes. Through social media, uh, the dictionaries and the words one uses has 
changed or evolved or expanded and it's a good thing you know yes yes but um, but the rest of them just the volume of number of people who write and publish indiscriminately is so high that's why the good ones get buried and lost Mm. and uh, what tends to happen is it's herd mentality so if a lot of your colleagues are publishing online or publishing books you feel left out because gosh you know they've got so many stars and likes and you know comments and this and that but you know if you're not intelligent enough to see and weigh through what do these bulk of stars and likes mean is it adding up to something (laughs) nothing mostly so if you are so delusional, then you will be in a deluded space because poetry is a tough space to be. You have to be a tough nut. It's a very oxymoronic thing to say because you really have to be very vulnerable yeah. and sensitive person to write poetry or be in the artistic field. Yeah. But it's a tough space. So, so you have to build these kind of you know invisible uh, armors around you to protect yourself. I'm not able to, but I have you know, close family and a few close friends who protect me. Mm. That's mm. my way because I've grown up in the old-fashioned world. I resort to people and tell, I'll, you know, cry on their shoulder and say, well, they'll say, listen, it's not worth it. Have a beer or go and have a good, a good meal. <laughs> or what's in town. So, yes. you know, uh, also over time you get more seasoned about, you know, what's good and what's bad. So it's, it's, it's a wolf wolves 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 all the way barking so loudly that the wolves can't hear each other so you might as well retreat to a cave where i can actually hear everything the triple rippling of the water the leaf falling the uh, the crushing of the earth under my feet the, the sound of the wind where do you hear any of that anymore that's because we are so noisy as people listening is not done blabbering away is what people have become this verbal diarrhea Daria on the page in terms of overproduction, um, it's bound to lead to a certain kind of chaos. And uh, But, you know, the good young poets and the good older poets are not very dissimilar oh. at all. Mm. No. They are, they, the common thing that connects them is good, innovative writing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, right. Now, but, you know, Often when I'm reading younger writers and I think, wow, you know, like the really good ones, it's like, it's almost like mm, encountering writing from another, it is encountering writing from another culture, you know, and did you, as an anthologist, how did you deal with that? For me, it's a very exciting thing because that's where I learn. Yeah. Another culture for me, uh, very exciting spaces because I haven't actually been there mm-hmm. or at least been there only superficially at yeah. best. Yeah. So I am happy to enter those spaces intellectually and, and, and to a point even try and try and imagine how it may be. I can never, you know, be in that space because I'm a different person and the time is different. Mm-hmm. But I find it actually quite exciting because actually you learn a lot from from these spaces. Uh, yeah. Also the thing is to write well, you have to read a lot. Yes. To write well and to write uh, for a long, long time, if you want to keep up uh, writing for many, many years in a row, then you have to have a lot of other interests. You you can't have a narrow zone of just poetry of a particular kind. And that's yeah. that. I mean, my critics, for instance, academics especially, are just frustrated with my work because every book I write is so different from the book before that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because they can't pigeonhole me as an Indian writer in English of a certain kind or a post-colonial writer or a subcultural writer or a modernist writer because it depends on the book and where, which phase of my life I've been. I I get bored very easily with myself, you know, if I'm repeating myself too often, you know. In a phase, you write in a particular way. So maybe in a phase of two, three years, you'll be writing a certain kind, then you move on to another kind. Um, so similarly, you know, with younger or older people, there is no difference. It's just the volume has become... Uh, um, so much that it's almost overbearing and overwhelming. We've done so many anthologies, right? like you said, like back in 2013, wasn't it? We met for that interview when, uh, you know. 2012, I think, yeah. 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 So and since then, I've done like two more. Since then, I've done two more. One is the Sahitya Academy anthology of young, younger poets, which was actually worked as a volume two of the HarperCollins book. Hmm. And then I did the best Asian poetry for Kitab in Singapore last year. But that was quite exciting because that was Asian poetry. So India was a significant, but uh, only a part of the book. So in Asia, that plays a very interesting space, you know, all the way from Turkey, Iran, Iraq <laughs> to Japan. Yeah. So it's a real spread. Yeah. Um, what were the challenges of the book? Yeah, I mean, how to make uh, challenges with a new book is how to make it new. Yes, yes. For those and for those same reasons as I outlined earlier, that that's was my way of making it new. Mm. Also, you see, when, when you're using contemporary work, it is already show window of newness, contemporary stuff. Mm. So by virtue of the datedness or the currentness of the content, it's also new. And I try, of course, uh, if there are poets who have been there in other anthologies, not to repeat the same poems, obviously, because mm. I want fresh matter. Mm. Um, and the book is done really, really well. I mean, you know, that's 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 why I, at the end of the day, when the book sells out, it must be doing something right, you know. Yes. Because reviewing, okay, it's got good reviews too, but review spaces are so so limited in India, especially that's, mainstream review. I mean, HT has page and a, a Hindu has a books page and Telegraph has a books page sometimes and that's it really uh, Express has a books page and that's it so what five, four or five places yeah. and you yourself know how tight those spaces are you can only accommodate yes. three books two books yeah. at most properly to for, for it to review every week so it's it's just impossible you know yeah uh, so just the just the fact that it, the hardback completely sold out so fast and now the paperback is out is just you know is a good sign of there is an interest in this book as well as so people must be finding something new and exciting in it that they can't find in you know five other anthologies that have come out at the same time you know mm -hmm. so that clearly why is this selling more than the others you know Penguins brought out an anthology at the same time. Uh, Sahitya Academy has brought out an anthology. Uh, Red River, Poetry Vala. So there are several anthologies that came out at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, this is still swimming. Okay. 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 So, you know, I noticed like names like Vijay Sheshadri and, you know, various diasporic poets. But these guys, I mean, somebody like Vijay Sheshadri is an American, right? You know, like they are, they belong to those countries, right? So why would you include them? This is one thing that I want to know, you know, because Vijay Sheshadri is American. He's American-American, you know? I mean, just because he's brown, but... I don't find anything like Indian about him. I find him really American, you know. So, so do I. So do I. And I say say that in my my short intros to these poets. You know, he yeah. is an American poet of Indian extraction. But yeah. because he's of Indian extraction, I want that whatever little Indian 
bit is for Indians to know. It's it's just creating a global community of people who are Indians or were Indians or are, have some kind of linkages with India because they do. They, they you know some of their families are still there. And if you're talking about Vijay, he left in Bangalore when he was five years old. You know, but those five years in his later poetry is coming back into his adult life a lot more than say the first forty years of his writing, which was. American, American, and outright American, and uh, as one would expect, you know, yeah, because that's the state he is from and grew up. There are so many like that, yeah. you know, people who are from there, you know, about that country, and that's the that's the strength, and so to and th- that's the strength that they bring to the Indian anthology. Another window, another glimpse, another technique of writing, another ethos. So. For instance, the Caribbean writer, writers of Indian origin write very differently and it makes the yes. book more flavorful, rich. So exactly for these reasons, I would have them. If they're good poets, if they're good writers, they're not included because they're Indian. Well, they are. They qualify <laughs> for the book that yes. Indian, but yes. they're not included because they're pink or yellow or brown. Color matters Color is of no issue as far as I'm concerned. Gender is of no issue. I'm concerned. Schedule caste, schedule tribe is of no issue when I'm concerned when I'm doing these books. I know I'm saying politically incorrect things, but then, you know, the word on the page doesn't have these nuances. Mm-hmm. The word on the page is the strength of the word or the poem on the page is because of the strength of the style of writing. That's it. Where they're from, what they are, how well known or less well known they are, doesn't even matter. So, the idea of having a diasporic, when when diaspora is included, is part of the remit of the book, then of course I have to put them in. If I, if it was going to be poets only living in India and Indian, then the book would be different. But then you know, there's a problematic thing. There are people who are based outside in in India who've been abroad in their later lives. Or have professional duties abroad, but are really Indian and are from India. Mm. How do you separate those out? Mm. And you know, these are non-poetic issues. Mm. These are personal life stories. Why mm. I don't want to get those in. Mm. Like Arundhati Subramanian, for, uh, for instance, now also lives a significant part of her life in New York. Mm. A significant part of the year in New York. Does she become an American poet? Not really. Yeah. So, you know, there are lots like Mina Alexander's uh, life was um, really made in America professionally, but so much of her writing is about Hyderabad, about India, about uh, Kerala and so on. So, you know, so when you when you take it holistically, I think it's 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 good to have it's good to be inclusive as long as you're tight with the kind of writing there there, that's Mm -hmm. being published. Mm -hmm. I also wonder about, you know, like regional writing from specific states you know they have their audiences and you know they have maybe even state uh, um, funding you know from the specific states whereas writing english in that sense i mean the audience is scattered and you know and, and from different cultures as well within the subcontinent so you know what are the complexities of that when it comes to poetry so writing and in english writing- quite writing in english and publishing in poetry quite contrary to the popular belief, is a pariah, as far as I'm yes, concerned. Yes, Yeah, most people think that, you know, because you write in English, you have a global reach. Of course, it's true. But you only have a global reach if the writing is good. If you're just writing in English and published 
you know, insignificantly by a small press for 10 people, then it doesn't have a global reach because you're writing in English. Yeah. The only books that have a global reach are books that have done well in India as well as abroad due to the merit of the writing. Let's let's stick to that. There are also books, popular books that travel and are popular, but those are different kinds of books. We're talking about poetry, you know. Yeah. I mean, if is writing a book on Indian independence, so they'll you know they'll be interesting for Indians as well as many people who follow yeah. the subcontinent. Yeah, poetry is a very different thing. Yeah. So in a sense, there's stage patronage for all the right uh, all the languages, but English is a pariah because it's nobody's language, and it's still by some fossilized people think it's an imperial language, it's a colonial language, it's a foreign language. I mean, thankfully, in the last 15, 20 years, we've traveled a lot beyond that but when i was young people would always ask me why am i not writing in bangla <laughs> my answer would be i have three mother tongues i have bangla hindi and english they are really my three mother tongues because i'm a bengali who's been brought up in a bengali family in delhi mm. so that's my reality and mm. should we celebrate that we are richer for that if, mm. uh, as opposed to if we were only stuck in one state and didn't so it's 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 a it's an argument which I don't buy, frankly. Yeah. But oddly enough, English is a pariah, even though people think that you have global access. Yeah, especially English poetry, because you know when you see you go to suppose you go to a festival and you see a gulzar, okay, the kind of uh, reactions he gets and the kind of audience you know across languages and people people are really enthusiastic about his work. Now, uh, a poet of the same stature maybe the same generation who writes only in English doesn't get that sort of like, you know, reaction. I mean, it's like a very small set. You don't have this reach. So, yeah. And there are reasons to it, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, of course, because he is also writes uh, uh, lyrics for Hindi films. Yes. Bollywood. Mm -hmm. Automatically, you know, uh, as a lyricist, he is extremely popular. Mm. Um, so that itself brings in the crowd. A lot of people who come yeah. to listen to him, uh, actually, they know his songs, not yes. so much his poetry in general. So that's something that, you know, one should recognize. And he himself probably knows that too. Yeah, yeah. So his poetry is read by a, a much smaller set of people as opposed to the people who follow Gulzar as Gulzar, the celebrity uh, writer, f filmmaker, he's been a film director as well. Mm. Uh, so he's part of the sort of very glitzy world of Bollywood. At mm. the same time, he's a very humble, down-to-earth man as well. Mm. Because he's a poet, probably. Because he's probably a good human being, so he can't separate it. But, you know, he has the advantage of that sort of celebrityhood, so therefore he will get large audiences. And great for him you know i mean i i would say that's fantastic you know I'd no i'm not saying it's not fantastic <laughs> it is fantastic i, I myself I mean, it, it, it's like it's like say a pop star who writes a book of poems you know people will flock to hear his thing because he'll also sing and and there'll be a great band and all that stuff so <laughs> if you're multi-talented and 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 very popular in a in a genre which is more um 
let's say popular and that go- and that means film or pop music or whatever automatically you'll have that clientele so that's yeah. right. we're talking so about saying, it's chocolate cheese it's chocolate yeah. cheese really in, in, in so what i'm saying is that in india i mean there's never going i don't think there's going to be a point where a poet who's writing in english is going to be embraced by a lot of people you know so that that sort of rock star stature is automatically closed off for somebody who's writing poetry in english unless unless someone wins the nobel prize and they'll, then they'll be yeah. called for the wrong reason because they are a nobel laureate that's the tragedy <laughs> then then the person will be like if the, the, the then the audiences will be thronging because they are proud as an indian because the ad person has won a nobel prize it doesn't matter in what you know that's how crazy it is you know they'll even buy the book and get it signed because and they said i was with i have a selfie with a nobel laureate again to me that's meaningless you know so you know, trait, is this an indian trait or do other you think other cultures also i think indians are i think indians are a bit over the top generally you know i love <laughs> being an indian i love being in india we can, we are also good at taking the piss out of each other but i think a lot of us also take us so take each ourselves so seriously that we become moribund and almost un, unattractive as personalities you know so yeah i would say it's a very indian thing maybe or a south asian thing you know ah, yeah 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 okay So, do you? I mean, I know it'll be unfair to ask you whose work you like. <laughs> all the people, in the converse, all the people in the converse, I stand by every line of it. Yeah, but that's why they are there. Maybe there's some that stand out more for you. Are there? there? There are people. I mean, you know, obviously, when I when I did the anthology, I was on the side of being more generous, that more than you know, be. super selective i have been very selective i mean you know i've culled it down from 15000 pages of poetry down to you know just you know hardly um whatever is published you know so that I means super selective that way uh, i would say the 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 older generation is easy because these are people who you know don't done, done the distances they are sort of long distance runners they've been doing it and they they're metalist proven so within that you know we'll all have our own artistic preferences and as i said they would my from the older generation people like kolatkar and mahapatra and jasavala and morays and ezekiel all these people are people i yeah. i still i still read yeah not everybody is in this book because of you know the factor that they had to be living poets mm. from the, the middle generation which is where i fit in actually i in, with the with poetry it's very interesting the mm. other fields have generations but our generations are divided by two so there are half first generation first half of the first generation second half of the second generation every generation is divided into two because say a generation like uh, manohar shetty and piradina are not quite in the same generation as jasawala and ezekiel yet they are grouped oh. together yeah why are they grouped together same way same way same way people like say cp surendran uh, narundati and so on and uh, um, me and ranjit and so on a part of a middle generation but not quite because the middle generation also has an older version of that gen- generation the salim piradinas and all that so there's even there initially you asked me about something about um, poetry in terms of you know how certain things happen and i said there are historical points of inflection yes. that yes. that we come back to that the historical points of inflection when it comes to indian writing in english and indian poetry in english particularly happened because of certain facts of publishing 
history of publishing. Yes. So, for instance, the Writers' Workshop in Kolkata, which was run by P. Lal, was one of the very first publishers which would entertain poetry and publish poetry widely. Mm. So, all the big names have the many of them have their first books from Writers' Workshop. The Ezekiels and the Mahapatras and the Vikram sets, all of them, many of them from that generation, you know, yes. have first books because that was the only avenue. Mm. After that, Oxford University Press, you know, started the New Crown series, which published poetry as well as plays mm. to two genres which are not easy to publish. And at the time, I think um, the poetry editor was uh, R. Parthasarathy, who was a poet mm. himself, very fine mm. poet himself. Mm. So under him, people like, under his editorial ship, people like Nisim Ezekiel, um, um, Geef Patel, A.K. Ramanujam, thought he's still with OUP. He's one of the rare uh, poets who is still with OUP. No, actually, Penguin now does his books. Um, so that was an historical moment when that generation of poets got published in the 70s. Mm. Then... It was again, it was always very difficult to publish poetry. Then came another time in the 70s where the independent collectives and presses started. So you had the New Ground, mm-hmm. which was formed by Jasawala and Kulatkar and lot. many of them were in advertising, actually. Mm-hmm. So New Ground books had a particular look because... Arun Kulatkar was a graphic designer, so all the books looked very similar. And it was a collective, so they basically, I suppose, I don't know how the funding came. They all pulling, pulled, pulled in a bank of cash and then... There's a book in this. There's a book in this. There is, there is. And they, it's happened many times. Then, you know, that happened. Then Praxis happened around then. Clearing House happened around then. So that was another time. Then after a long gap, Rupa launched their poetry imprint called the New Poetry Series, uh, where I was a beneficiary. It was 1990 or 91 when they started the list, simultaneously with Viking Penguin. Rupa's list was curated and edited by Nisim Ezekiel. Mm. Penguin's list was edited and curated by Dom Moraes. It was exactly mm. at the same time, 91, I think. Um, so Rupa, under Rupa's uh, New Poetry series, the first set of books that came out were Ranjit's, Mine, Tabish Kher, and so on. So we became a generation. And at, simultaneously at Penguin, uh, Jeet Thayal, Vijay Nambisan, uh, C.P. Surendran. So we all became a generation of poets mm. who were published at the same time. So there was a revitalization of poetry, not because poetry was not being written before. It was just the pub- publishing opportunity and, and that happened. Mm. And that was really... After that, there hasn't been a, a, a sort of, you know, sustained poetry publishing kind of this thing. Orient Longman also, yeah, around the same time, maybe two years later, started a poetry, little imprint. So Bibu Party and Rabindu Swain and all that, they, they came out of that particular uh, 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 space. So we were all in that space in the same time. As you know, HarperCollins and the Penguins of the world do very little poetry, one or two books a year, if if mm. at all. And they mm. actually do the you know poets they published in the past. Mm. Very rarely a new poet can break in. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know the mechanics of how it works because abroad I know there are specific poetry editors with big publishers who look after the poetry uh, list. In India, we don't have that. So who reads the poetry? 
how it gets uh, vetted, I have no idea. But you know that's how it runs. Unfortunately, that uh, this that space is not transparent at all. You know, sometimes you see books by celebrities which are not really poetry books, but that's kind of doing those people a favor because they've yes. written their memoir or a cookbook or something, and they'll sell anyway. Um, and uh, you know, let's not have a discussion on those because that's not poetry. Poetry, really what we talk. About, you know, they won't make it into a serious anthology. Yeah. Of, of, or very rarely they would, you know, unless they're exceptional. Uh, so these are the these are inflection points. And then more recently, the, the newer small smaller presses that encourage poetry was Heman Devate's Poetry Wala yes. in Bombay. Then you had um, Copper Coin is Copper doing Coin. very very good books, but again in a very limited manner because you know th- these are limited opportunities. Yeah. More, more recently, there's a publisher called Havakal which is doing a lot yes, of poetry. Yeah. Um, then there's Red River which is doing a lot of poetry. So you know now these are uh, publishers um, except for Poetry Wala and say Copper Coin which was a little earlier. These are all new, let's put it this way. So there's a flurry of books that are coming out from here. We need another 10, 15 years for it to settle down and see which are the poets who survive from this and which are the presses that survive from this. So when you trace it back from the Pilar days to now, all these publishing uh, of poetry and the enthusiasm and the sort of noise that happens are around publishing initiatives and inflection points. Mm. And that's the way it's going to continue. Mm. And uh, some of us who have been lucky uh, have uh, big mainstream presses who've done our books are luckier. But also we've put in the hard work. Our first books never came out from these big presses. Or most Mm. of us didn't. We got picked up along the way and some of them have stuck with us, some of them haven't, you know. Mm. It also depends on the sort of editorial climate, the market, you know, the marketing department has such a huge say in terms of publishing books because can we sell the book? You yeah. know, will there be a nice attractive author photograph on the jacket and, you know, the right blurbs from celebrities? But then we're not talking about poetry. We're talking about book to sell as a product. So yeah. you know, that's a separate together. And so poetry, are, I mean, like, who cares what the poet looks like? I mean, you know, that's not what should be... I, I'm sure there are people who do care. Frankly, who cares what the author looks like? Yeah, that's for not what any book. <laughs> yeah, For any book, I'm not interested in meeting the author. Yeah, if but... I happen to bump into the author and he or she turns out to be a pleasant person, it's a bonus. But... <laughs> 99% of the time I don't want to meet the author I've read Yeah, and there are authors I've read for a long time who I really want to meet because of sheer adoration mm. how I would love to meet Milton impossible <laughs> yeah. yeah. how I would love to meet a certain author who I've uh, Faulkner for instance who I've admired or Charles Dickens mm. or so on mm. I'm talking about old names yeah. but you know, these are people I want to go because they've significantly shifted the literary and imaginative landscape in my life at the time. Yeah. So then, then it's a different kind of yearning, the right kind of yearning. Thank God for books because you just buy the book. It's a commodity. You read it, you like it, and you put it in your shelf. Uh, and I'm not interested in the looks of the author. <laughs> I'm interested in what they say. Uh, mm. So it has nothing to do with the writing, of course, as we know. Okay. Okay. Now, final question, you know, uh, this thing about, I found this striking when you said this in the, uh, in the, in the introduction, 
uh, I realized that I continue accepting commissions to edit important anthologies because of my obsession with bringing the poetry community together to showcase the best of Indian poetry to other Indians and to the world at large. Now, is it even possible? That's what I've written in the margin to bring the community <laughs> of Indian, well, even Indian English poets. I mean, it's so difficult. So talk about that. I, 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 I will talk about that, but it's pity it's a podcast, not a video cast, because I can see your expression and your ironic grin when you ask that question. And that is the answer to it. I don't even have to say the viewers or the listeners can't see the interviewer's face and the expression, even now as she gaggles and giggles along. <laughs> yes, you're right. Your margin note is absolutely correct. It is impossible. It is impossible, but it is an attempt. It is an attempt to bring the communities together in India. Having been in this field for so many years, I've been a published writer for 35 years and I've lived for almost 60 years. Mm -hmm. uh, having done so much for Indian poetry in terms of just editorial work, forget about my writing, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't see the communities coming together. It's getting more and more fragmented more and more siloed and fossilized in a different way. That's the way the society is. It's all I, 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 not we or us. It's the same thing with relationships, with the way society is working. Everything is driven on a personal agenda way. If you are a community person, you're an exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. So it's just an attempt, Manjula, frankly. It's an impossibility. But my life's motto when it comes to living and for art is always been Robert Browning's that wonderful line from this poem, Andrea del Sarto. And uh, he wrote, I think, more or less, I'm not quoting it fully correctly, maybe, a man's reach should exceed his grasp. His grasp, yeah. Mm. Or what are heavens for? If you don't strive towards heavens, metaphorically speaking, the heights, mm -hmm. you'll never reach close to it. So if you're striving for 200%, maybe at the end of your life, you'll reach 80. And if you reach 80, you've done well. So that's that's my, you know, it's a yearning. It's a striving. It's the wanting to do this. Am I, if I put on my sane thinking hat, uh, that will tell me, stop writing poetry. Get away from it as much as possible. What's the point? Really, that is the truth. I continue doing it because it gives me personal joy. It allows me to hide my grief in it on a personal level. It allows me to process things. It's just the way I've been born, you know, with a defective DNA. You know, it's a mental disease I don't want to cure. I don't want to take medication for this poetry mental disease. I'm really thankful that it has allowed me to be the way I am. So I do it because that's the way I'm built. But it is an impossible space to be in, you know, both as a editor, as a writer, as a poet, because it's a struggle. And some of us, and personally speaking, we've been lucky that, you know, there have been a fair amount of success over the years, you know, so we can say, and, and that has got nothing to do with anything, but just the sheer volume and the merit of the writing. That's what people finally read, isn't it? Mm. Everything else is awesome. Mm. Interview yeah. features with grand sort of half soft focus photograph of the author, you know, that's there for one day and that's gone, you know, it's, you know, it's meaningless, but that hardback or paperback copy uh, printed on off-white paper on, you know, with a lovely mm. font will remain until that person lives. And then yeah. even that is ephemera.
Um, and uh, in in the scale of larger thing, we are just mere stardusts in the supernova. So what are we even talking about? You know. Mm. So as a speck in the stardust, each one has a role and a particular kind of personality to play. So yes, it's impossible to build a community. And increasingly, I feel that it's not possible. Uh, sadly, it's 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 something that I've come to realize the sad, harsh truth of it, even more so now. Mm. But these books are just an attempt to pit, put very fine, disparate people who would never speak to each other together under the same cover <laughs> and let the poems talk. Let the poems talk. And that's a small, um, humble contribution one makes, you know, because yeah. of the love for poetry. Uh, and now, because it. I just want to end this on a sad note, I have to say no. that this love poetry, <laughs> I think you mentioned oh, even in the uh, intro, Supriya called Dhaliwal's, uh, the women who She's died. the youngest of the lot, yeah. Lovely. Yes. She's, she's, very lovely work. Yeah, so, yeah. So there are lots of young poets who I could say, um, you know, uh, you know, people you can look out for. So Prekal Haripar happens to be the youngest, so you picked out that name because she's yeah. the last poet in the book. Yes. Another one called Mina Moriarty, who writes very, very strong uh, stuff. There's Rohan Chetri who like writes. Yes, really Rohan Chetri is also good. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's Chilam Chattaraj who writes very mm. well, and she's also a good academic. There's Medha Singh. There's Jennifer Robertson. There's a whole stack of them, you know, who, mm. who, who are writing really well. And we'll see because you know most most of these people are just one book old, mm. just mm. one book old. So these are people i see that there's a lot of potential but it's up to them to you know prove or disprove it otherwise you know for me they're just being showcased as a, as a possibility just as we were showcased in the older anthologies by our older generation of poets you know mm. how many of them have survived just a handful five six names when when we were young, there were so many poets writing and publishing too. But now my generation, you know, there's literally those same five or six names who are talked about, you know. And that's that's really the people who are worth following because they've been at it for such a long time. Sometimes they produce a not so excellent book. Sometimes they produce an excellent book. But if you put all the work through a sieve, a good test is their selected poems will be a strong, strong book. And that's why those are the poets who survive you know because the work is strong okay. it doesn't matter how good looking or how mean or how nice you are <laughs> okay and on that note we'll end oh. thank you so much so there's a, there's a lot of good stuff happening in poetry it's a really fabulous space and also there's one more thing which we didn't talk about is the kinds of way poetry is uh put out in public so there's performance poetry for instance there's stand-up yeah. comedy Yes, poetry film. There's uh, uh, podcasts on poetry. So the oral oral culture is again back in the fore, which is fantastically exciting. You know, mm. uh, you have to be again use the same rules and find judicious ways of seeing which is good. Because sometimes you can go to a fabulous reading because of the ambiance and yes. the way the delivers the thing and it's very impactful and you come back and read the poem on the page and it falls flat on the uh, on yes. the page. The best point should do both mm. really i mean the best poem should work strongly on the page as well as on the stage yes so this yes. Is, there's a there's enough of that around in india around me to make me smile and be happy okay great okay for the audience go out and get converse uh contemporary english poetry by indians edited by shudeep sen it's um it's really um 
it's really good. That's all I can say. I mean, that's why we're speaking to him. <laughs> thank you so much, Sudhir. <laughs> <for talking to me. laughs> thank you, Manjulan. Thank you. Thank you for your enthusiasm and honesty about poetry. I, my only regret with this podcast is I wish people could see your face and your ironic smile when you ask some of the questions. <laughs> okay. See you. Bye. Yeah. Bye. To stay updated on this podcast, follow us at HD Smartcast on all the major social media platforms. To listen to more such podcasts, log on to www.hdsmartcast.com. Hold up. 